Mindfulness Mode. Sometimes the most incredible gifts come wrapped in the worst paper. But the trick is to keep your eye on the gift. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we've talked about the paranormal before, and today we're going to pick up that topic and talk talk about it with a transpersonal psychologist. She's a licensed clinical social worker, educator, life coach, and she's an author with more than 25 years of clinical experience. And I'm so excited today. I really am to talk to Dr. Margaret Cochran. Dr. Cochran, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am indeed. I'm so pleased to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited to talk to you. Dr. Cochran, what does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness means the ability to step outside the ego and pay attention to who you are and what you want and what your surroundings suggest or dictate to you. Okay, very concise and I really like that. So one of the things you teach people, Dr. Cochran, is how to use their whole brain. So what does this really mean and how do you do this? Well, what it means is often people think about um, just thoughts or they feel just emotion and then they begin to react and respond to the world from one of those two polar places. And the idea is that we're looking for simultaneity of functioning so that you can think and feel in real time and respond to the world from there. Do you believe that more people than ever are experiencing anxiety and stress and this feeling like they just don't know which way to turn? Holy guacamole, yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It people are confused. They're overwhelmed. Um, they're being um, just, there's just this onslaught of information that comes to them. And you have to consider the fact that the human brain, uh, and I'm being very conservative when I say this, has not evolved in the last 10,000 years. Okay? okay. So we have 21st century problems being handled by ancient technology. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, a that's a very interesting way to put it, Dr. Carpenter. A lot. It really is. And and I'm laughing, but it's not funny. I mean, there are so many people that are not equipped to handle what is going on in the world. Absolutely true. And mindfulness, to your point, is really the way to get there. Because a, a lot of it, and, and you know, people feel, because they're anxious, especially, um, they want the answer now. I want the answer now. I want to fix it now. I want the pain to go away now. And there are some techniques that I can teach people that help bring down um, that sense of immediacy in their anxiety, which is caused by their amygdala. The amygdala is a part of the brain that um, signals the release of cortisol, which is the stress hormone, um, or adrenaline, which we use in emergency situations. But when someone is under chronic stress and they're chronically overloaded with these chemicals, what begins to happen is instead of the amygdala, which is back here in what's called the limbic system, which controls emotion and meaning and learning, um, it's, a, it's designed to communicate here with the prefrontal cortex, which is where you have reasoning and logic and your personality. Well, what happens is when you get in those chemical overload situations, these two stop talking. 
the train does not run all the way to the station, you know? Right. Yes. So you're responding from a part of your brain that is telling you the sky is falling, Henny Penny, and there's no coming back. And there's no rational part that says, wait, 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 wait. No, the sky's not falling. Hang on a second. Ask another question. Get another piece of information. You know, have some popcorn. Settle down. Let's figure this out. We go right to, oh, my gosh. We have to do something. And the most convenient and easiest thing to do is someone who comes along with some conspiracy theory and says, oh, yeah, this is the true answer. This solves all the problems. Now you have all the information. And now that you have it, you are safe. And that's the biggest fallacy of all. If you believe this story I'm telling you, then you're safe. No one can harm you. Wow, we've seen this over and over and over this last few years. That is for sure. Oh, now, I, yeah. I wonder if going back to your childhood, Dr. Cochran, were there any indicators that told people around you that maybe you were going to end up doing the kind of work you do today? <laughs> yes, there were. <clears throat> um, my nickname as a kid was Doc. Um, kids would come to me and tell me stuff and or ask me things. And yeah just expecting me to know somehow. And if I didn't know, I'd run off to the library and look it up. And then I'd come back and say, okay, well, according to this, <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> so, my, the library was my favorite hangout. Wow. That's so cool. And it's so funny. Well, I want to talk to you about Selma. And Selma uh -huh. was so special in your life, your beloved therapy dog. Yes. Tell me what Selma did for you and what Selma did for the world. Well, Selma um, was a beautiful uh, pit bull, as they're mm -hmm. called, um, and uh, she she had this incredible heart and an amazing intuition. Selma did not become part of my life until she was six years old. She had been uh, previously she uh, lived with a couple apparently that um, the husband didn't like her, and when the wife was away, he threw her out of the house. Wow. So she was caught roaming the streets by animal control, uh, sent to the Humane Society. She was then adopted by a woman uh, who was a friend of my partner, uh, my late partner in practice at the time. <clears throat> and so she had to go away uh, to Sweden to visit family and left the dog with my partner. And he was taking care of her. But when I went into the office and met her, there was something there, just this click. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, a friend of mine who's gifted intuitive said, that's your dog. I said, no, it's not. It will, you know, lives with this other woman. And I didn't want to get too attached because I knew, you know, it happened. Well, all of a sudden, one day she said, I have to move to South Carolina and I can't get homeowner's insurance. If I have a pit bull, will you keep her? Oh, wow. And Selma became part of my family. And she uh, converted many patients from being afraid of dogs, pit bulls in particular. Mm -hmm. um, she learned on her own how to walk people from my waiting room back into my office. She'd just go out and get them. Uh, she knew when the 50 minutes was over, she'd get up off her bed, stand next to the chair where the patient was, walk them back. She just, if someone was crying, she'd put their head in their lap. Um, oh, wow. and if they were having a PTSD experience, she would uh, go stand on their feet, which is which is a standard clinical technique that we use. We put our hands on feet, helps ground them back down to the room. She taught herself those things. I did not teach her. Wow, that is incredible. I miss her every day. 
I bet you do. But now you have Walter and Emma. Tell us about Walter and Emma. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Walter, um, he's just like his name. You know, he needs a little bow tie and a pair of glasses on. He's just, (laughs) you know, uh, he's very chill. He likes to contemplate the universe. Um, Emma is could power a small city. She's completely the opposite. And so when they're out walking together, um, sometimes Walter wants to lay down and look at the leaves and the trees. And and he'll just lay there and look, you know. And Selma's like, okay, okay, let's go, let's go, you know. And she'll wait for a while. And finally, she gives up, grabs his leash, and drags him off down the sidewalk. Because she says, we're done now. It's time for us to go. So it's beautiful because the two of them come together, and they make the perfect combination of energies. And are they pit bulls as well? They are, yes. Yeah. And what do you think it is about pit bulls that not only makes them so special as you describe, but also makes them so feared? Well, it's it's a breeding partially because they're very strong and very muscular. Um, <clears throat> trust me, I know they're very strong and muscular. And if you are going to work with um, American bullies, their technical name, uh, you have to be an experienced handler. You have to know what you're doing, you know, because they will challenge you. But the other is uh people are not good to each other and they're not good to their animals right and so if you have a fierce strong animal with with a powerful ego and you're not good to them you end up with a very angry potentially dangerous dog and it could be a german shepherd it could be an american bully it can be a chihuahua in case you've ever been around chihuahuas they get pretty yes fast. they do pretty animated pretty fast and of course the uh pit bull always gets the blame never fails because it's a bigger dog right so right interesting it's all about energy yes yes and there's so much energy when we when we give ourselves up to our pets and we have a mindful way of being with them isn't that right absolutely they give us so much um after selma passed uh i was laying in bed one night and I was just drifting off to sleep. And she was not allowed on the bed unless she was invited. And she'd always make a little oh, 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 noise. And I heard the noise as clear as day. Wow. And I said, come on up, sweetie. And I patted the bed. And then I was silent. So wow. she's, she's still here. Well, and on that note, I want to talk to you about the paranormal research you've done. I know that you've you've done some research, and I know you have a lot to say about the paranormal. So let's start there. What what have you done as far as research is concerned? Well, actually, I wrote my dissertation for my PhD on what happens to someone longitudinally when they believe they've seen a ghost. Oh. So my job was not to prove there are ghosts. My job was just to evaluate the experience people had when they believed they'd had a sighting or or a feeling, as the case may be. Interesting. And how was this paper received? (laughs) Well, first of all, let me say I had a blast doing it. It was so fun. Most people complain about their dissertations. Oh, it's so hard. I had nothing but fun. It, it was great. Um, well, here's how it was received. Um, the, uh, I was invited to give a talk by the APA uh, because somebody decided, well, it's true. People do come to the office and say, I've had this experience. This woman's a world expert on it. Maybe we need to have her give a talk. And I said, are you sure? 
You want me to? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they said they did. And so it came down to giving time to give the talk. And I got this call back and said, well, actually, no. The committee decided, no, we're not going to have you talk. But they wanted to know if you knew about the haunted Toys R Us in Sunnyvale. So there's that sort of interesting, you know, it's garbage, but you should go look at this, right? Um, the other way it was received was I was at the hairdresser one day getting my hair washing out here, very vulnerable with your head back in the bowl. Yeah. And my hairdresser was saying, well, so how's the research coming? I said, oh, it's coming really well. And got a lot of participants. The next thing I knew, there were five other heads peering down in the bowl saying, I have a story. Could I be in your study? So it's, it's one end or the other in terms of reception. Wow. Wow. That's very interesting. Well, you've, you've told us about, you, you know, what you feel about um, your dog who passed, your mm -hmm. dog Selma. But what about people? Do you have friends or relatives who have passed and then you have some kind of messages from them or relationships with them that you would attribute to the paranormal? Well, you know, the idea, it's interesting, that term paranormal. It's, it's the idea that somehow it's outside normal. But what it really means is part of normal. It's ah. a piece of normal. And what we know from physics is that energy signatures don't die. Matter does. Matter decays, mm -hmm. right, and changes form. Um, but uh, energy does not. It continues on, and we appear to be energetic beings. So whatever this is that makes this car that we're living in go, it seems to persist past the car. Car goes to the junkyard, but the engine's still running, so to speak, you know. And I've had many experiences and and multiple multiple uh stories of people who have had experiences um and sometimes they're people that you know that have passed and sometimes they're not uh i had a i had a lady who um had just given birth and uh her husband worked nights and she was going to go down in the basement of her house and do some laundry so she put her infant in the laundry basket so she could carry it carefully and open the basement door turn on the light and standing at the bottom of the stairs was a man in a suit and he just did this he said nothing he just did that she he screamed, just held up his hand he held just up held up his hand, hand. Yes. And she screamed and uh, ran and called her husband. He said, get out of the house, you know, call the police. And she was all freaked out. And she thought, no, probably some kind of weird postpartum thing. I'm just going to do the laundry. So she picked up the basket again, opened the door, flicked on the light. And there was the man with his hand like this. Oh, wow. So she took off outside. And just at that moment, her husband pulled up. Police cars came because he'd call the police when when she called him. And the police went in the house and they thoroughly searched it. There were no signs of uh, entry. There were no windows in the basement. It was just a cinder block structure. There's no mm -hmm. And And so one of the police officers said, ma'am, I don't know what you saw down there. He said, but did you know about the crack you have in the foundation to your stairs? If you'd walked down those stairs with that baby, I don't think you would have made it. What? So... I don't know who that was. It was no one she recognized. But someone came along and said, don't do this. Be careful. Oh. And probably saved two lives. Wow, that's incredible. 
So if you run into someone in your basement in a suit that goes like this, <laughs> I suggest you listen. That's my best advice. Yes. Wow. What a story. You know, I, I know that you talk about a couple of things that are the keys to changing lives and the world as a whole, and they are empathy and yes. compassion. Yes. And I just wonder if you can expand on that. Well, empathy um, is different from sympathy. People often ask me that. And, and sympathy is when you feel for someone, but you lose your footing and become part of whatever's going on with them. Empathy is when you see someone with something going on and you're able to stay yourself in the face of their pain and actually offer assistance. Empathy is what allows us to look into the eyes of any creature on this planet and see our own eyes looking back. Empathy is stops wars. Empathy stops murder. Empathy stops rape. It stops crime. It stops cruelty. Empathy is what allows us to love. And without love, we are nothing. Yes. Yes. And you all also talk about humor and what it can do for us. And I know yeah. that we, I, I strongly believe that we just don't have enough humor in our lives, many of us. Well, you know, those of us who allow ourselves to laugh at our own behavior will be endlessly amused. Because yeah. We're always doing goofy things, right? We we come to yeah. goofy conclusions and we go in goofy directions and um, we look at it later and think, oh, what was I thinking? Well, the chances are good. Coming back to our earlier conversation, you were only thinking with part of your brain. You're probably thinking only rationally or only emotionally. And you made a decision from, from one of those two dichotomous places that you're not very happy with in the long term. Right. Right. Dr. Cochran, I want to ask you a question about bullying because I've worked in that field for a long time. Right. Do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yes. Um, I had a little boy who uh, came to me and he was in the third grade and um, he was being picked on something fierce by some older boys, fourth mm -hmm. graders, fifth graders. They'd take his money and they'd push him down and all this kind of stuff. And he didn't want to go back to school and he was feeling really bad. So I taught him how to meditate. Little third grade meditation. He was a great kid. And um, I, I taught him about how, you know, people who are bullies are scared of themselves and don't feel good about who they are. Mm-hmm. And what they're looking for from you is a reaction. That's what fuels them and gives them power. So if you don't give them that, then they'll leave you alone. And he was right. pretty skeptical, as you might guess. Yes. And why would he not be? I invite skepticism. It's an important part of learning and growth and, and research come to that. Mm -hmm. So I have this T-shirt um, and it says... Um, it's part of my, my wisdom wear collection. And it's a little saying that I have that life is a process of becoming, but it's not always a becoming process. Uh, so I gave him one of those shirts. And so he went to school. And so the guys started in and they make this little circle around them, you know, and there's mm -hmm. their sort of half circle. And then there's his friends that are watching. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? So the guy says, oh, you're this and you're that, you know, and he whips around and he points to the back of his shirt and he says, read my shirt. Oh, I love that. And the bully was like trying to read the shirt and then 
he didn't know what to do. He just stopped dead in his tracks. So everybody laughed at him, his friends, my little guy's friends, and my guy walked away, never bothered him again. Isn't that something? Wow. And where can I get one of those shirts, Dr. Cochran? <laughs> I'll, I'll find one and send it to you. The thing is that what really stemmed the tide was his confidence. Right. He was not being extrinsically, externally motivated. He was being intrinsically motivated, internally motivated. And he said, you know, you can say whatever you want to, but I'm still me and I'm okay. Which wow. brings us again back to compassion and empathy, because the first place that must start is with ourselves. We have to love us before we can truly love others and, most importantly, receive love from others. Yes. Often we get scared of intimacy and deep connectedness. And so we put ourselves in a giving quote-unquote position where we're always in charge of, oh, I'm going to put out love. I'm going to give gifts. I'm going to do this. But we, but when someone says, oh, you have beautiful eyes. I love the way you smile. We say, uh-huh. And we don't, we don't receive the gift. And I always tell people, you know how you feel when you give something to someone? How does that feel? Oh, it feels good. Okay. So when they give you a piece of their heart and you go give them the raspberry, how do you think they feel? Oh, bad. I said, I know. Right. Yes. So learning to receive is a very important part of intimacy and connectedness. And it's a wonderful gift to whomever the gift giver might be. Yeah. So true. Absolutely. What's the best website where Mindful Tribe can find you? Oh, drcochran.com. That's so easy. Drcochran.com. C-O-C-H-R-A-N and Dr. D-R, right? Yep. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. DrCochran.com. Yeah. As we move forward in the interview, Dr. Cochran, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who uh -oh. is one person who has been a very powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Carl Jung. Oh, that was quick. That was easy. Carl Jung. When did yes. you first discover Carl Jung? <laughs> You're going to laugh. I discovered Carl Jung back in elementary school when I was hanging out at the library. Uh -huh. Oh, oh, I need to tell you this. Yes, please do. I was nearly shot in the fourth grade. Uh, oh. We were studying, yeah, we were studying uh, one of the American um, icons, Johnny Appleseed, mm -hmm. who went around, you know, doing apple seeds everywhere. And, and the Native Americans never bothered him. He could go anywhere with his apple seeds. Now, mind you, he walked around with a tin pot on his head, and he wasn't always appropriately dressed. And so uh, the rules of Native Americans, who were much more compassionate often than, than their captors, um, uh, was that if you were touched by the spirits, you didn't hurt that person. In fact, sometimes they leave him food and other things because they felt he was touched by God. Right. Well, so there, everyone was extolling the virtues of Donnie Appleseed. And I was thinking, I don't know, that doesn't make sense to me. Something's missing. So I went to the library and I did a lot of research in my little research fourth grade head. And I figured out he was a schizophrenic. That's what was wrong with Johnny Appleseed. And that's why he died of exposure and starvation because oh. he was naked in the snow. And schizophrenics untreated often dress in interesting ways or they'll take all their clothes off or whatever. So I raised my hand in the fourth grade. I said, I, newsflash, I just figured out that Johnny Appleseed was a schizophrenic. I was explaining what schizophrenia was. 
Recess was hell after that. Oh, I was persona non grata. The teacher had to stand in front of me with her arms out. No, don't kill her. Because people, you know, I, they thought I was messing with a beloved character. And I said, no, it's, I'm not disparaging him. I'm just explaining why he could do the things he did and, and why he was treated by the Native Americans the way he was, why sadly he died the death that he did. We still have all the apple trees, but yeah, that didn't go over so well. That's a fascinating story. Thanks for sharing that, Dr. Cochran. Wow. <laughs> My next question is about emotions. How has mindfulness helped you deal with your emotions? Mindfulness has um, allowed me to step back from the 3D temporal world and understand that each being no matter what their species might be, is here on their own journey. And it's above my pay grade to understand why they choose particular challenges, like Johnny Appleseed in his schizophrenia. I don't, I don't know why, but I have respect for it. I have reverence for it. And, and no matter what it looks like, I recognize that there's value to it. One of the things that's difficult is that often people um, don't, have a long view. For example, my mindfulness has allowed me to believe wholeheartedly that only good things will come to me. Always. And sometimes the most incredible gifts come wrapped in the worst paper. But the trick is to keep your eye on the gift. Carl Jung again, the pearl of great price. Right? So, so Rick, when something happens that I perceive to be negative or scary, my first thought always is, ooh, I wonder what's on the other side of this. This is going to be exciting. And there's my joyful anticipation. Wow. I love that. I want to ask you about breathing because we haven't really talked about that. Do you have any thoughts, any ideas, any suggestions about breathing as it relates to mindfulness? Yeah. Um, one of the things that often happens to us is as we, as we talked about earlier in the, the program, we get overwhelmed yeah. to the point where we just can't process anything else and, and we kind of shut down. And I have a, a little uh, four, seven, eight, I am enough exercise that mm -hmm. I think is very helpful. If you like, we could quickly go through it. Just Please, to yeah, let's do that. Show, show the folks how it works. Yeah. So first thing you need to do is take both hands and cross them like this and then place them over your heart in the center of your chest. There you go. Now close your eyes. And we're going to breathe. We're going to inhale for a count of four, ex hold for a count of seven, and then exhale down for a count of eight. And we're going to do that three times. And while we're doing it, I'm going to be talking with you. And all you have to do is repeat what I'm saying inside your head. Okay, here okay. we go. Inhale for four. I am enough. Hold for seven. I am enough. And exhale down for eight. I am am enough. One more time. Inhale for four. I am enough. Hold for seven. I am enough. And exhale down for eight. And one last time. Inhale for four. I am enough. Hold for seven. I am enough. And exhale down for eight. I am enough. 
And then when you're ready, open your eyes. How did that feel? Oh, it feels incredible. It feels like there's just energy coming into my body. It just mm -hmm. feels great. Well, it's a great combination of neurobiology and breathing. Um, the uh, touching of the body releases oxytocin, which is the hormone that our bonding hormone, our feeling good kind of hormone. And uh, so just touching our own bodies with our hands like that, just that alone will, will bring down some of the anxiety. What's really helpful is when you're super anxious, it's good to uh, use a little metric, a little Likert scale of one to 10, uh, 10 being the worst you ever felt, one being Buddha pants happy. Mm -hmm. And you uh, scale yourself before you do the breathing exercise. Let's say you're a seven, write down the number seven, do the exercise, and then check your number again and see where you are. The reason why I ask you to write it down is because often when we're upset and all of a sudden we realize we're at a four or a, or a five, we say, oh, I wasn't that upset before. Yes, you are. And, and it's important to know the power of you. To recognize you made that happen with your touch and your breathing. And there are other kinds of um, exercises like that that I have to help people, you know, deal with things. But that's a nice quick one. Um, you can use it wherever you are. Sometimes if you're in a stressful situation, you can just put one hand over your heart, just quietly. No one need know. Mm -hmm. And you'll feel yourself, ah, oh, okay, I'm enough. I can do this. Whatever this happens. Where's this a screaming child? difficult traffic, an annoying um, person uh, or relative. It's just like, okay, I can do this. I'm all right. Wow, that's great. Great, real hands-on activities we can do to feel so much better in the moment. That's great. Yeah, that is awesome. My next question is about a book. Is there a book that you would recommend that can help with mindfulness? Yes, what dreams may come. Oh. oh, it's a it's a wonderful allegorical book about um, our views on heaven and hell, and I think the listeners will really enjoy it. It's a lovely story. They did a movie of it. Hollywood screwed it all up. You know how they do that sometimes. Yes, but the book is very good. Okay, I'll check it out. I've not had anybody mention that book on the show before. Cool. I want to ask you if there are any apps of any description that you would recommend. Well, um, I think the one, the, the thing that uh, I see the most are problems with sleep mm -hmm. and anxiety. Um, so um, any of the apps that you find on YouTube that do, they're all really quite good. I, I wouldn't recommend one over the other. Although I am extremely fond of binaural beats, B-I-N-A-U-R-A-L. You're probably familiar with that. Yes. But what's so interesting about it is you have one frequency going in one ear, one frequency going in another, and your brain produces the third frequency that you desire. And uh, it's it's very effective for calming, even for healing, if you're going through something unpleasant. Um, there are certain frequencies tailored to certain illnesses. And I'm not by any means suggesting that you you bypass what your physician is telling you to do or anything like that. But this is a wonderful augmentation along with diet, exercise, acupuncture, meditation, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in 
if I got something going on, I want as many tools in my bat belts as I can get. And I want to be able to use them comfortably, understand how they work, and have them be practical and portable. So wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, I can pull those out and use them in an efficacious way. Yeah. Dr. Cochran, this has been a fascinating, fascinating discussion. And as we wrap things up, I just want to ask you if you have any final words of advice for our Mindful Tribe listeners. Well, whenever I, I tell a story, um, and I, I'm fond of telling stories, as you can probably tell, yes. I always say at the end, the end and a beginning, because endings always are, you know. Yeah. Thank you for that. Well, it's been a sheer delight to have you on the show. I appreciate what you're doing, what you're bringing into the world. Thank you so much, Dr. Cochran. Oh, thank you for having me. Be safe and be well to you and all your listeners. I will. Bye now. Bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Would you like to receive a healing meditation from me, which is personalized just for you? I will create a personalized healing meditation maybe maybe you have some anxiety maybe you have some stress maybe you have some tension maybe you have some grief or something that you're just trying to work through and you would benefit from having a healing meditation that I have custom created just for you. It will be approximately eight to 10 minutes. Send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and put meditation in the subject line and tell me about your, your situation and what it is that you would like to work through. And I will create a custom healing meditation just for you. And that is my gift to you, Mindful Tribe, for being a consistent listener on Mindfulness Mode. So take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.